This show is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron sends gourmet recipes and all the fresh ingredients you need to make them, and they send them right to your door. Our listeners get their first two meals for free. Just go to blueapron.com forward slash bad Christian. Start cooking incredible meals at home right now with Blue Apron. That's blueapron.com forward slash bad Christian. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. All right. Happy Saturday, everybody. Yeah, all right. It's Saturday. Welcome to the weekend podcast. Let's do something different today. What do y'all think? Yes. I, I, I like want to mix it up. I want to change things up <laughs> on the reels. Well, what do you want to do different, Toby? You know what? I'm tired of talking, and you know what? I want to do some listening. Ooh. And there's only one person that I want to listen to today. I'm tired of talking to. that's our too. Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No, that's tomorrow. That's Sunday. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want my good friend Joey to take over today and just run the show. Joey, are you down? <laughs> Can you do it? Man, I'm really nervous. <laughs> well, here's what's going on. We felt a little bit. We feel bad because as much as we run our mouths and shut Joey out and make fun of him, also we know he represents a pretty good amount of you guys. And yeah, maybe it's true. Toby and I are are, are often kind of rejecting traditional things done in Christianity, and maybe we even avoid theology talk a little bit uh, for for our listenership and for reality's sake. So Joey has the desire to kind of talk about some of those things and do those debates about topics. He has a desire to talk to other people besides us. <laughs> to other people? <laughs> I mean, what's going on? I mean, what? No, I mean, I, I think, uh, I, yeah, I have found recently, and this is what really urged me to just look into experimenting with this idea is that, man, there's a lot of Christians that I really respect out there that I couldn't disagree with more than I do. Mm-hmm. Because here, here's the thing is, you take two people that disagree wholeheartedly on a particular issue in the Bible, particular doctrine or teaching, and they can both be Christians. They can both be relatively smart, but they, they both can't be right and man that's that's crazy that that should actually mean something yeah. to us that man we're personally we can't be right about everything that we think and everything that we believe so why not invite more and more christians into the conversation and not be so defensive with what we believe and hopefully we can learn from other people yeah so we want to let joey hat do a whole episode here we're going to call it a pastor with no answers which i think is uh that's you right joey yeah, and I, I like I like that name. In fact, you probably forgot, but I came up with that name, and then you yeah. really jumped on it and said <laughs> you liked it a lot. But here's what I don't want to accomplish with this episode. I don't want people going away saying, oh, okay, well, that was a nice little package on biblical inerrancy. Now I know what to believe. Well, so you, it's you and you have your brother Jared on here, uh, which is very cool. People know who he is. And then who else? who else did you bring on to talk? So we actually have a guy coming on named Kerry, probably the most fundamental uh, King James Version Bible believer I've ever met in my whole entire life. Um, and then we have Jack Hoy, who's who's joined us at our live uh, living room show in Charleston, who 
is very much so a Christian, but sees things in a very much more liberal way. So here we are today talking about biblical inerrancy. And I'm telling you, man, we are coming from all different angles. Jack and I being way more on the liberal side and Jared and Carrie being on more the uh, conservative side. And uh, these people on the show, they may not want to admit it, but it, it gets a little heated in my opinion. Well, that's good. So we'll call this we'll call this a pastor with no answers biblical inerrancy. We'll make that the title. There you of this go. Episode. Nice. So, there you go. Hey, so Matt and uh, uh, Toby, sit your asses down and enjoy the ride, my friends. All right. I can't wait. Hey, hey, you, hey! You well deserve this rest. Thank you for the break, Joey. We appreciate you doing some heavy lifting for once. <laughs> Toby's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do we have a sponsor, Joey, for this episode. Can you tell them about that? What I'm asking you to do is what you may want to do is put on this on the podcast episode, put it on pause, and now get your ass <laughs> in the kitchen, go into the refrigerator where you have your blue apron meal already there. All the little envelopes are labeled. There's directions, picture, pictorial uh, directions, step by step. And I'm telling you, you guys know this from experience, for less than $10, you're going to make a meal that would probably cost your ass $100 if you went to downtown Seattle or downtown Charleston. Some of the best food I've ever put in my mouth that I made. Wait, you Blue made apron, it. man. You Blue made apron. It? Yeah, they send you the ingredients to I, your door. I could have believed that Priscilla made it, but you're able to make it? Hey, one time I made it with uh, a friend of ours, Brian, and then the second time I made it with Priscilla, and I'm telling you, man, I'm two for two. The meals are off the charts, unbelievable. Matt, you and Bridget, y'all are doing this we on love the reg, it. right? Yeah, we we pay for it. We do three every single week, all the time. Love it. This this week, for example, the three meals that you get is chicken with lemon, mint, chives, potatoes, sugar snap peas, spring onion hash, or oh, and fish with zucchini, mint, and fair farro salad. Man, this stuff is coming to your door. You get to make it. You get to eat it. I'm telling you, there's no You're other, really excited like, about blue. this. I am, man, because I'm telling you, <laughs> when I ate what I made, I was just like, I cannot believe I made this, man. I mean, it's It was just like the so first good. time your wife ever looked at you and was proud. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you heard it from Joey. You heard it from Matt. You're hearing it from me. You got to try Blue Apron. It you get is, your first uh, two meals for free, Toby. Totally free. So go to blueapron.com forward slash badchristian. That's blueapron.com forward slash bad christian honestly it's really our treat the first two meals are free so once again go to blueapron.com forward slash bad christian start eating great today and there's a great chance that you and i are wrong in a lot of areas so yeah man looking forward to it jared how you doing i am doing well uh it's another sunny day in boca i've enjoyed uh being outdoors today did some laps in the pool had a nice little workout I uh, had a late night, though. I had to pick up my daughter from a bar mitzvah uh, at around midnight, which is way past I my didn't bedtime. I did not know your daughter was a Jew. My, so my Mazel niece tov. was Jewish? Tov. No, no, no. I mean, she attends the same school that I teach at, and I would say probably 70% of the students at our school are Jewish. And gotcha. this is the age where many of her uh, classmates have their bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. So... Are you gonna be upset, like if she come home, she comes home and says, "Hey, I was talking to a lot of my friends at lunch, 
and we were talking about boys, and then we got on the subject of Jesus, and I don't believe that he's the son of God. I would be wrecked. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> devastated. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we talk about this a lot because it comes up a lot. I mean, she realizes, even from an early age, that, that hey, I'm a Christian. These kids are Jewish. What's the difference? So then I had to explain yeah. that to her. So we have these conversations. This is nothing new for her or me. So we're, we're in constant dialogue about it. All right, so we are here with some friends of ours. Well, I guess, I guess, kind of friends. Jack and I are friends. I am meeting Carrie for the first time. Um, Andy Gill is a good friend of mine, and Carrie and Andy are best friends. So, a friend of Andy's is a friend of mine, and I think that we're all bringing somewhat of a u- unique perspective on today's subject, which is the Bible and whether or not it's infallible. So I want to just tell everyone that in this in this specific episode, the four people on this call, we are all uh, Christians. Some of you, are, you're going to hear uh, maybe our beliefs in the Bible. You're going to be like, no way they can be a Christian. But all of us have faith in Jesus. We believe in, in the Christian faith and, um, you know, all the essentials of that. But I, I think we're, we land on different places with Bible infallibility. But let's just uh, let's find out. So... Jack, you are, you've actually um, done some podcasting with us before on, on Bad Christian, yep. and you, so you're a researcher at Seacoast Church? Yeah, yeah, researcher, uh, kind of a staff writer at Seacoast. Um, you like pizza? Yes. Yes? <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite kind of pizza? Whatever is in front of me. Pizza is kind of like um, pizza and sex. There's not you can't have a bad pizza, you know. But what if you have like broccoli and like weird kale and crap like that in there? That's true. Well, that's yeah. that's a bizarre example. You can but, have yeah. a pizza that you regret though. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But some of the worst, cheapest pizzas, like in the grocery store, are just the best. I mean, it's just the, the real crispy kind. I forgot what they're called. But anyway, so you're a researcher. Awesome. Carrie, what about you? Uh, what about me? What makes you, uh, like, we definitely, you wanted to be on this. Uh, maybe it was just a favor for Andy, and you thought, well, if Andy likes Joey, I'll, I'll do him a favor. But you, I think you are very much invested in this topic as well, correct? Correct. This is one of the topics I'm most passionate about. I've been studying it for a couple of years now uh, pretty deeply. Awesome. Cool. Well, what I want to do is give everyone a, a two-minute first statement, and I'm going to be a stickler with the two minutes, uh, given that we've got you know the next hour or so to talk back and forth. So uh, try to make it as concise as possible. And we will start with Jack. So, Jack, um, is is the Bible infallible? Well, you, you know, there are a few words that uh, kind of get a little bit muddled whenever people talk about this. And even people who um, are really have really been involved in discussions about infallibility and inerrancy. Um, so those two terms, infallible and inerrant, are a little bit muddled, and um, e- even you know people who do this for a living uh, kind of agree, well, one is, one is more important than the other, and then some people say, no, they're the same idea. And 
Um, you know, I, I really do think it's important to separate them a little bit. Um, and, and so do that for us. Yeah. So kind of the basic idea behind you got one minute. Basic idea behind inerrancy is there are no errors, and the basic idea behind infallibility is that the Bible won't lead us astray, right? Like it won't lead us into error. Huh. And um, in some of those two things are very connected, but in another sense, it gets down to what I think is most important about this, and that is, can we trust what the Bible tells us about God, um, uh, about reality, about the way things are, um, or is it not trustworthy? And I think that's a better question to ask than, is the Bible infallible or inerrant? And those aren't unimportant things to ask, but I think what they're trying to get at is, can we trust the Bible? Yeah. And can we trust the Bible, would you say? Yes, I think we can. Now, are there mistakes in the Bible? Um, well, I mean, are, are there mistakes in terms of, like, what I say that uh, when a certain pastor says, this perfectly round number of people were saved? I mean, is that totally correct? I mean, no, I don't think it is. But we don't use that kind of, like, uh, rigid requirements when we when we talk. If I say about 1,000 people came, you're not going to say, well, now, wait a minute. Was it 1,000 people or wasn't it, Jack? That's you said about 1,000. Sure. Well, but but in the same way, if I say a thousand people came, you're not going to say, well, was it a thousand? And, and I mean, I'm not going to say, well, I, I guess it could have been a few more or a few less. And if I said that, you wouldn't say, well, I can't trust you because you don't know exactly how many people it was. And that's the basic idea behind what I'm saying is uh, the, the idea that the only way that the Bible is trustworthy is if there are literally zero mistakes in any way, shape, or form, uh, I, I think that's a prison. And I don't think it's something that the writers ever intended. Um, it's not something that you really find in the history of biblical criticism and study until very recently, really. Gotcha. All right. Thanks, Jack. So I'll uh, I'll take a second swing at it, and uh, I'll just say that my background I was definitely always taught. I mean, I, I actually I was in college, and I I even thought that any translation of the Bible was infallible. I was just like, man, God is going to protect His word. We can trust whatever we're holding in our hands. And then I did the seminary thing and realized, okay, it's from a technical standpoint, it's the original, you know, uh, writings that, that's infallible. And now I'm just at a place to where I, I can't get away from the fact uh, who, I don't know who tells us, who is telling us that it's infallible. And I, re I read a book by F.F. Bruce called The Canon of Scripture, and I kept waiting for this magical moment when I was like, oh, so that's how we know everything in the Bible is supposed to be there and everything is right. I get it now. And it never happened. And then, you know, you read where Martin Luther was arguing against James being in the Bible, and I think Second Peter. And so I don't, I don't feel like my faith, depends any longer on every single tiny detail in the Bible being true. And I'll, I'll tell you, when, when this transition happened, it was a very scary thing for me. Now, I would agree with Jack that I think, think the Bible is very dependable. When you look at Jesus and how he treated the Old Testament, he definitely treated it with unbelievable, hey, this stuff is right, this stuff is true, the, the law and the prophets. So we can depend on Jesus' attitude with the Old Testament. And then it seems as if Jesus also set out a precedent of, hey, these dudes, the Holy Spirit's going to bring to their mind my truth. And I, I do think Peter, Paul, James, and all these guys had unbelievable uh, position to speak. And I think that we best have ears to hear. Uh, but I'm okay if, if, if there's some things in the Bible that are questionable. 
And this time, even a year and a half ago, I don't think I would be saying that. So my, um, so my question to you, Joey, is do you have a problem then with infallibility? I've got a problem with you. Whatever. Uh, not, not following instructions. <laughs> but you, what, what do you, what's the problem here? You've raised some interesting points that I have to talk about. I can't let them lie. But whatever. You're the boss. Go ahead, Go ahead Jared. So, so you don't want to – so this this counts as your two minutes then. Totally fine. It's just a question though because is your problem then with infallibility of Scripture or infallibility of deciding what the canon is? Or both? Uh, I, I mean to me it's both. Like if, if, if there's – like for example, Jude. He quotes from uh, he quotes as truth something that's not even in the Bible. So do we write off the whole book? Do we write off? What's that? He quotes Enoch. He does not quote the book of Enoch. He quotes Enoch himself. He's not giving credence or validity to the book of Enoch that you can find. He's giving uh, validity to exactly what Enoch said that has been preserved to this day. So, but but isn't he still quoting something that isn't necessarily canonized? Or I tell you what, let let's talk about that because I love what you're saying. I want to hear more. So, Jared, go ahead and, and give your two minutes. Bill, I'm actually going to reset the clock and then. Oh, we'll sweetie. Yeah, man. And then we'll move on to Carrie, and then we'll just have at it. All right. So, Jared, the difference between don't ask me questions, man. You state your daggone position. My daggone position is that yes, the Bible is infallible. Who tells us this? There's a whole history of early church fathers like Clements of Rome, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus. I mean, I can give you quotes, but you probably don't want to hear that. But from the get-go, I mean, the early first century AD, these guys were saying that the Bible is true. The Bible is perfect. It satisfies all lovers of truth. Uh, and then you go to Augustine saying the same kinds of things. And what I like about Augustine is he said that if we think there's a problem with the Bible, it's either a mess up in the manuscript a mess up in the inter in the interpretation, or we just don't get it yet. We don't understand it yet. So that's kind of the position that I take. Like I don't think that we can know fully or or basically assume the Bible is wrong. Let's first assume that we're wrong. We don't understand it yet, or there were problems with the way things, you know, the way things were transcribed. I, I but I honestly believe that the original manuscripts were 100% inerrant, infallible, and I'm sticking to that. You're sticking to it, man. You did yeah. that in half the time. Sweet. Awesome. All right, Carrie. Uh, so, Joe, your question was, does faith depend on infallibility? I'll say that faith does not, but doctrine does. And uh, I will go as far as to say if you believe that the Bible is fallible, or better yet, if you believe the Bible is errant in any way, you have reason to doubt your salvation in the end, or whether you will keep salvation. First uh, Peter one twenty three says that we are born again not of corruptible seeds, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Uh, so we see that the word of God is incorruptible. I believe the Bible is completely inerrant. I believe we can trust it for every scientific fact, for every doctrinal fact, moral fact. I believe there is only one perfectly preserved uh, translation of the Bible that has been handed down to every generation. And uh, that's, that's my point. I'm sticking to it. Awesome. All right, so let me. Uh, I, hopefully, you everybody wrote down some questions. I've got a question about that. So, about what you said, Carrie. So, if our, um, you know, if, if our very salvation depends on, uh, I don't, I don't want to misquote you. Did you say our salvation depends on whether or not? Oh, I know what you said. So, if the Bible is inerrant in any way and found in any way, then our salvation is in question. My question to you would be, would be, well, what about the guys that were being saved? 
um, before the New Testament was even written. I mean, if you ask those guys, hey, what's your faith based on? They'd say, oh, there isn't Savior. I mean, did you, did you not hear? And I even talked to this guy, Peter, who actually spent time with Jesus. They didn't necessarily point to, to Scripture. So I, I guess, I mean, what would you say about those guys? I do not say salvation depends on the infallibility of Scripture. Salvation okay. depends on the Word of God and depends on uh, belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you have reason to doubt your salvation, right? Jesus talks about the, you know, no one can take us uh, from his hand. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not going to do the time to open all the scriptures. But, um, you know, if we can't trust the Bible, what it says, if the wording is off and we don't know exactly what it says, then how do we know that he's going to keep us from here to eternity? Right? How, do, how can we verify that promise that will never be taken from his hand? Right. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, go ahead, Jared. I guess also for me, too, it's an authority thing, because the moment you start poking holes in the Bible, I think it becomes a slippery, can become a slippery slope where you can start doubting all kinds of doctrine. And then what's the authority? What's the bottom line authority for our faith? And to me, that's why yeah, Scripture... Go ahead. I mean, I, I think that's why you really need... I'm sorry, I had my timer on. I think that's why you really need the Holy Spirit to to read Scripture. Like, if anyone cracks open the Bible and they're not... Uh, I, I'm not saying like this legalistic ritual every time you open the Bible you need to pray first, but I think that if you're not approaching it with a prayerful attitude, I definitely think that's not a good thing. I mean, because even take two people that believe that the Bible is infallible. I mean, they read uh, the same scripture and they get two totally different meanings out of it. So even if you do believe the Bible is infallible, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily even getting that infallible you know, message. So I don't know. I mean, I mean why can't the Holy Spirit guide us into So, Jared, you said poking holes in Scripture and stuff. I don't feel like I am poking holes in Scripture, and I think, and I know you're not accusing me of anything, but, I mean, the the major premise of the Christian faith, it seems to be pretty much intact, you know, from, from Matthew to Revelation. There's this common theme that, man, Jesus is the Christ. Man, these guys followed him. They ate with him, broke bread with him. And now they're carrying out that message. I don't. I don't think that necessarily saying, okay, maybe there's a detail here and there that's conflicting. Why does that? Why does that contradict a, a salvation message? Or See, why? Why does that put that stuff in the, into question? Yeah, but I think too, you can you can have this whole notion of the Bible being fallible in the wrong hands. So the moment you have a pastor or leader who's saying, yeah, the Bible is fallible. I don't like this doctrine. I think it's wrong then he starts leading the whole congregation astray. And that, to me, is, is very dangerous. That's why I think that if it's if it's your word versus God's word, to me, God's word always wins. And that's why I have this fear, then, that people can easily start saying, well, I think it's I think it's fallible here. Maybe it's infallible there. It's always their judgment call. And well, so but, but, in the wrong hands, it's very dangerous. Sure, but, but if you believe that the Bible is infallible and inerrant, has that stopped it from... Has, that stopped all those things happening anyway? No, that's true. It has not. No. You know, when I think, so, so I, I just spent the weekend um, with my family. I'm the oldest of 21 grandkids on my dad's side. Okay. Good. And, and now we're all getting married and we're all having kids. And so, and so we're all together and there were like 40 odd of us. Right. And, and one of the things that, that I've been thinking about lately with my family is, so we used to get to all, all get together once a year in Hilton Head and, and, you know, 
do a beach vacation, and, and one of the things I realized um, is when the only time you interact with a large portion of your family is like this happy beach vacation and everyone's having a good time, you have this image um, of your family that, that isn't real. And, and so what happens, what, what you know, kind of happened as I went through life is uh, little holes would start getting poked in this image I had. And, and the problem wasn't the holes, the problem was the image I had. And what made, what made those things so disillusioning was that I had built my family into something it wasn't. And, and I had made it into something that it was never intended to be. And when I did that, it really made it into an idol. And I think that to, to demand that the, the Bible be, and again, is it trustworthy? Yes, absolutely. But, but to, man, to demand that it be utterly free of any kind of error is, I think, to put chains on it and to put it in a box that, that of course, it, it becomes very tenuous then. If, if your idea of something is that it can't have any mistakes, any little mistake that you find, even the tiniest mistake, is devastating. And I just don't think that's ever the way that God intended us to interact with his word because it makes everything devastating. Um, well, can, can you name... Uh, are no cares, so there is no devastation to reap. I'm sorry, say again? So the beautiful part is there are no errors in your King James Bible. There is, there is no devastation to reap. You're not going to have that moment where you're suddenly cast into doubt because there's something wrong. There is nothing wrong. So, Jack, would you have an example or, or two when you read something, you're just like, well, that can't be right? Well, you know, like, you know, I was thinking about coming here, and I, like, I really want to avoid kind of the back and forth of, well, that's a problem. No, it's not. That's a problem. But so, so, there, so there are things that seem to be problems that aren't. And a great example of that are Hittites. For a long time, people said uh, the Bible was a joke because we all know that, there, that the Hittites never existed. Well, then we found archaeological evidence of Hittites. So there's certainly, you, you know, there's certainly um, a thing where you, where you want to say just because we don't understand something or just because something seems to be a mistake, that doesn't mean it is. And so you definitely want to avoid this whole, well, there's a mistake. Oh, it must be. Um, but, but at the same time, you can go the other way, where you're defending things that are, I mean, kind of obviously not intended to be to be there. Um, I think that the ending to Mark is, is, to me, kind of an obvious example of a passage that, uh, you know, most most Bibles, uh, most uh, you know, recent translations kind of have the last part of Mark bracketed off. And this um, sucks because I have a tattoo of a verse in the last chapter of Mark. Mark is completely valid. Let's hear what Jack has well, to say, and then I want to hear what you have to say, Gary. Well, first sure. of all, look, well, your problem is easy. All you got to do is, is tattoo brackets around it. <laughs> Asterisks. Um, well, so, so you know, like like the, the very last part of Mark that's that's kind of bracketed off, it, you know, kind of talks about them going out and proclaiming the imperishable doctrine of salvation. And that is that's just, that's just not uh, first century language. That, that sounds very Byzantine, and... and Kind of all the manuscriptual evidence we have for it is, is later, and that's why there are brackets around it because we just don't have the confidence anymore that that wasn't a later edition. We just don't have enough early evidence of it. And again, this is this is when we talk about the evidence for uh, for scripture, we have enormous evidence uh, for the reliability of the New Testament. Enormous. Uh, manuscript evidence, and so when something is bracketed, and we have scholars saying we don't we don't have confidence that was in the original. I mean. That that's not just a, a couple of guys saying, well, we don't think so. I mean, that is really based on a lot of a lot of. No, that is that's what it's based on. 
Say again, Kerry? Not 98% of manuscript evidence, maybe 99% of manuscript evidence, um, validates the Texas Receptus. I don't know what that number comes from. I mean, it it's, sounds convincing, but That's I'm not sure where you're... comes from first of manuscripts, onseal manuscripts. I know we've got some first-time listeners. These are old written copies of the Bible. There were um, original language copies, like the, the Syriac, the Shido, the Old Latin, the Bohairic. Um, and then you've got the church lectionaries, and these were the pre-written lessons that the church had that would go through certain passages. 100% of the church lectionaries um, validate the Texas Receptus over anything. And the Texas Receptus, of course, is the underlying foundation of the King James Bible. 100% of lectionaries handed down generation to generation validate what's in your King James Bible 100%. I mean, I... Anytime you want to throw around a hundred percent number, I feel like I, I feel really confident saying that's just not possibly true. I mean, like, how many things in life are a hundred percent? And I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be flip about it, but uh, I mean that that's you know, the the way that we have the New Testament that we have is through fragments. I mean, there there is no such thing as a complete copy of the New Testament that you know dates back to the first no, century. Correct, but in the copies we have, that might be certain passages or certain chapters or certain collections of books, 100% right. as of what was collated as of 1880, those manuscripts in the lectionaries match the readings found that underlie the King James Bible in the New Testament. Well, sure, but I mean, so much scholarship has been done since 1880, we understand so much more about uh, all of that. And, and so, I mean, if your scholarship stops at 1880... Uh, to me, that's a that's a hole in in uh, in your understanding. No, that that's that's your opinion. You don't have any facts to base that on. Matter of fact, that was the most robust scholarship to date. Everything else, the only new fragments that we've had some new papyrus and some new fragments come to light since then. The majority of them existed in 1880. Dean, uh, Dean John William Bergen and his colleague uh, F. H. A. Scribner. Uh, between the two of them, they collated, I believe, nearly every existing evidence fragment that existed at that time. And personally, cross-reference and checking, this is how I know that the last chapter of Mark is valid. Uh, Dean Bergon wrote a 350-page book, goes through manuscript evidence, internal evidence, based on the language. Um, and it's just, that was the book that really sealed the deal for me in the scripture. Yo, what about them Dead Sea Scrolls, though, man? That was, that was way past 19th century, right? <laughs> we we see who's the really smart one on here. Those things came out after 1890. So, um, so you keep uh, throwing. Did you have something? Yeah, you keep throwing out Carrie uh, King James. Do you have an allegiance to King James and not other translations? Well, you have to pick one, don't you? Right. If if you believe in, in the inerrancy of scripture like I do, then only there can only be one truth. Well, I mean, that, guess, that would have to be the original Hebrew and Greek, right? Well, it's true. Uh, I I I would take you know there are people that will go to the extreme in King James only. I believe in the King James because I believe it's a perfect translation of the underlying Hebrew and Greek that has been preserved for the New Testament. But didn't that even start off with like didn't the original King James have the apocrypha in it? It did, but it did not state that it was scripture. It was there for historical purposes. And still people today will recommend reading it for historical purposes. You can read the book of Maccabees and get the history, some of the Jewish history in the yeah. intertestamental period. Yeah. But notice the Holy Bible with Apocrypha, right? So, so that kind of 
with Apocrypha separates it from the Holy Bible. It's gotcha. not, and they never intended it to be such. Gotcha. So, so why why the King James? Why why is that the most appealing to you? Uh, because I, I number one because of its roots, where it came from. It came from um, you know the Texas Receptus, which I believe was the uh, compiled form of the New Testament, and every other. Every other translation comes from the critical text, and I know that you know this because we're talking on the, on the same level here. And, uh, you know, the critical text calls Jesus a liar in John 7, right? It says he will not go up to the feast, uh, but your Texas Receptus throws in that key word yet. Jesus says, I will not yet go up to the feast. And every other translation based on the critical text, Jesus is a liar. Therefore, he's not holy. Therefore, he's not God. Therefore, he cannot be trusted. Okay. So what, I mean, what about someone, I think it was, uh, did J.I. Packer do ESV? Was he one of the main guys with the ESV? I mean, so he's he's basing the ESV, for example, off of, you know, the original text, too. I mean, that... Well, the original text is even a misnomer. I, I, I will argue against that wordage, because I think it's going to confuse people as to the authority of those texts. Gotcha. Well, I tell you, man, this this would be a good discussion for uh, maybe a maybe a different episode. I want to go back to um, I want to ask you, Jared. So th- so think about all right. Jesus rose from the dead. He um, ascended, and you know all these guys. I mean, like the AD series that's out right now. I mean, you know, depicts all this per- pretty uh, in an entertaining fashion. And these guys are like, man, this guy was who. He said he was, and man, he has made an unbelievable change in my life, and man, this is what life's about. I've got to spread the good news. They didn't They didn't go to Paul's letters. I mean, Paul actually just stood and watched Stephen get stoned. They didn't um, necessarily go to some letters that, that Peter had written. They just talked to Peter, you know, because he had hung out with Jesus, like, what makes now for us in the 21st century, why why is the scripture like the ultimate overshadowing authority of everything? And those guys didn't have that. Like, do you think they were in some pretty dangerous territory back then for not having like literature that they could stand on? No, I don't think so. They were eyewitnesses to Christ and his life. And I think ultimately after Christ died, there was this this demand to get things in writing to be passed on to people who weren't eyewitnesses for the future in different geographic locations. So I really believe that, you know, the first century AD was really a time for getting the writings out there and then beginning to canonize canonize those writings for posterity's sake, to preserve, you know, what people actually did see and hear directly. Gotcha. I guess for me too, like if I, if I think about this issue more and more, what do you say to brand new Christians when they're really desperately seeking to know God, do you say, here's the Bible, but there could be a lot of errors there, or there could be errors in there? To me, that's a really troubling thing for someone who's really thirsty to, to really understand God's God's word, God's scripture, to, to say right off the bat, that there could be errors in there, or there's errors in there. Well, I, I, would, I wouldn't say, hey, read this. What's that? You, you give them the King James Bible, and you said, here's a Bible you can trust. So, right? so, you guys know that both Mormons and Muslims Will, will argue against Christians and most of the time win, and, and they do it based off of the new translations. They, they show that people are doubting what God has said, and they use it as a door. They kick it in, they destroy the faith of, of many people. I, 
That's interesting. I mean, I, I've, I remember about a year ago, I met with a couple of really nice Mormon guys for on and off for a couple of months, and, and they never brought up the translation. Um, I mean, I've got no doubt that they do from time to time, but I was not my experience. Um, so, so I've got a question, uh, Carrie, and, and this is like, please, this this is truly not a, a gotcha question. Anyway, I'm, I'm more curious. Um, I'm more curious uh, about how you how you would kind of respond to this. So, Galatians 3:28, um, Scrivener's Textus Receptus. Um, so, so one of the interesting things about Galatians 3:20, it's, it's really neat passage. You know, it talks about you know, in, in Christ there's neither uh, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, um, and and the the King James, uh, like many other translations, uh, has neither male nor female. But in the in the Greek, uh, including the the Scrivener's Textus Receptus, um, it's it's actually there is neither there is not male and female. The, there's not a, a ude; it's a chi. And so, actually, so what the King James does is it takes a word that is and and it translates it nor. And that's a totally natural thing to do. A lot of translations do it because it's kind of in keeping with the flow. Neither nor, neither nor, neither nor. But in the Greek, not not just in the, the different translations that like ESV or NIV use, um, but Scrivener's Textus Receptus has chi, but the King James does it translate it as and, it translates it as nor. And so, again, this is not a gotcha question. I, I'm just curious about... Um, so for you, uh, with your, you know, with the Textus Receptus and the King James, like, what do you do with that? I'm not prepared to answer that question. I will say though that you know, I, I apologize if I came off as a gotcha. It truly was not. No, well, I, the one thing I can say is, you know, your translations today are very wooden. They say every word has to have the exact same translation. Every place this word is used, it has to be used in this way. And we know, and and. and our own language should tell us that that's not accurate. Context is everything, not right. just in understanding, but in translation, right? I work with computers. If I tell someone, go get me the logs, right, are they going to bring me a stack of wood from out back, or are they going to bring me a bunch of text files in the thumb drive? Right. Context is everything. You can't translate verbatim. So uh, I agree. not prepared to answer that, but I, I could say that perhaps there was context there that indicated um, that that parallelism should continue. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, you could go either way, you know, and that's what I think is so interesting about this passage in particular, because on the one hand, like, I totally agree. There has to be room for interpretation. So much of the Bible is poetry that if you try to treat it like wooden prose, like a textbook, you're not going to capture what the authors are doing. Um, and, and so for this one, on the one hand, yeah, right, you could say neither nor. There's this flow here that you don't want to interrupt. But on the other hand, what some people say is well, well, what Paul is doing is he's, he's calling back to Genesis where God created the male and female. And, and so he's kind of breaking that that uh, rhythm in, into saying neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. And there's not there's also not male and female. And he's kind of calling back to Genesis and he's saying, look, the resurrection puts even that into a new light. But you could go either way. You could say that the rhythm is more important, or you could say, no, we need to, we need to show what Paul was doing here. And, and so I, I agree with you. When you're looking at kind of the, the original manuscripts or the Texas Receptus, there has to be room for the translators to do what they think is best. Correct. And I actually think that both um, the critical text and the Texas Receptus actually both use pi. I will tell you that it's translated multiple times in various different ways. It could be also, indeed, but, and, or. So I'll say then. That but it's most is not nor. Say again. But but chi is not nor. You're right. It can be different things, but nor is generally not one of them. In fact, I, I don't know anywhere where it is. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I just uh, so Jared to answer your question, I, I don't, I don't send a new Christian off with his Bible and say, hey, read this. But there could be a lot of mistakes. I mean, that's that's the thing is, I I think the Bible is trustworthy, Jared. I, all right, so this you're, I mean, you're gonna jump all over this example. I think you are trustworthy. You're my brother. You, I know you make mistakes, but still, I know that when it comes to my brother and my relationship with him, at the end of the day, you're you're trustworthy. And I feel like I can say the same thing about the Bible, but not necessarily have to dig my heels in the sand that, okay, when Paul was talking about female leadership, that's a universal application. Or, you know what, maybe... I don't think this. I'll just I'll just say this. I don't think um, that that you that there's no doctrine there as far as what Paul was talking about. Now I do think that it's probably more of a um, uh, a, a general teaching, not necessarily a specific. Hey, here's what women should and shouldn't do in the church. But what what if what if he was saying things that shouldn't have been said in a certain way. I mean, what what if as students of God's word, we would we would take that and be like, "Huh. I don't have a problem with that." I mean, like I just if if someone came along, like if I if I go to heaven and someone says, "Yeah, that was a little bit too strong of language that Paul used." Man, there were I'm glad that didn't tamper with the salvation message though. God wouldn't have allowed that to happen, but I mean, so Jared, you would say that God in his sovereignty just would not allow human well, mistakes to enter the Bible. I guess I look at it differently. For me, it's like, okay, I'm going to approach the Bible very humbly with lots of humility. And I'm just going to say, if I, if something seems weird to me, I'm going to pray about it. But I'm not going to automatically assume that, that Paul was off or there was a mistake in there. I mean, there's a lot of context. Paul was writing to a specific church. So I don't know everything. I don't. I wasn't there. I don't understand fully understand the context. So I'm going to be humble about it. If it bothers me, I'm going to pray about it. But I'm not going to automatically assume that that's that's a, a flawed way of looking at things. Now, so do you think I'm approaching it in a prideful way? Uh, I don't want to call you prideful. <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm approaching it differently. I just yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I just I have a fear of just automatically assuming that. It's my way or the highway. And I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm just saying for me, when I read the Bible, if I don't get something, it's because I don't get something. It's not because the Bible has problems. That's just the yeah. way I look at it. That's the way I approach it. So, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I I, I approach the I mean, I, I approach the Bible as an authoritative word in my life, but I also really have to depend on on the Holy Spirit. So, I for sure, you know, yeah, if I, definitely. If I had to lean one way or another, I would say, yeah, I think there's a there's a huge chance that, um, well, no, I, I guess at the end of the day, I I do think that there could be some historical mistakes and, um, like, what was the example, Jack, that you said there's a passage somewhere where it says like 250 chariots or oh, thousand gosh. chariots? Yeah, I, and you know, I, I was looking for it earlier. I, I so there, there's a, uh, I, I, mean, I, I kind of hesitate to even bring it up, but I mean, basically the general thing was, in, in one of the one of the Old Testament books, it was Chronicles or Kings. They they, they kind of give a number of the number of chariots that a certain army had, and it was, I mean, if if that army had that many chariots, 
at that time in history, I mean, that would be, that's an astonishing number for that period of history. I mean, it's, it's kind of, again, it's, it's a little hard to believe. Um, or, or, you know, here's an example of what I was talking about earlier. So in, in Judges, uh, Judges 22, uh, it says that uh, the chiefs of all the people, of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot, foot soldiers bearing arms. So, I mean, if you if you want to say that the Bible is utterly without any sort of error, if there were 399,999 foot soldiers, then the Bible falls apart. And that and that's you know that that's and that's an extreme. So many, many military troops are built into balances and units of even numbers, right? When you deploy fifty thousand troops, we deploy fifty thousand troops. I, I'm not in the army; I don't know what the numbers are, but let's say that's three brigades or something, right? So it makes perfect sense, especially in in the the military passages, for there to be completely even numbers. Sure, and they all get there at exactly the same time. <laughs> not, and and, that, and that's kind of my thing again. Like you're, you're so. Yeah, when all has to be things like this can happen just because you think it it's not probable. Based but why on, does it have to? That's, that's what I'm saying. Why why is it important? Why like if I read that and then I find out, man, that number was off. I don't think Dagomah that Bible is so messed up. Right. I think no, that's a human being. I mean, that's like me, you know, like if you say the Jackson Five now. Well, I mean. That's wrong. Michael Jackson's dead, you know. But people know what you're talking about. If I if I say, Jared, how many people, you know, how many girls spent the night for your daughter's sleepover, and he, you know, about you know ten, and I find out it was eleven, I'm not going to say Jared's a liar. I just we said about ten. See, we, we all we, this is a common <laughs> thing I've noticed, especially when people discuss these things, that they they don't equate apples and oranges, right? When you're trying to give an example, and I, I'm not trying to attack you, but I'm saying. You automatically take about. We know how to communicate languages when we're doing uh, approximates or absolutes. And I'll say this goes back to Genesis uh, 3 when Satan told uh, Eve, yea, half God said. The entire point is to doubt God from the start and specifically to doubt what God has said. And so while the numbers don't, we don't really care if it was one less than 400,000, but what we do care about is can we trust what we have in our hands? And I believe I can trust exactly what I have in my hands with the King James Bible. If I hold up any other Bible and anyone else who tells me this who doesn't believe in inerrancy, <clears throat> they can't hold up their Bible and say this Bible is 100% accurate. You can take God at his word, every single word. Right? Jesus said, man shall not live by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So, but, but the that reason that bread is life-giving is not... The reason the bread is life-giving is because it comes from the Father. Not because it's perfect, but because it comes from the Father. So, you know, I, I trust my Father absolutely, but it's not because he's perfect, and it's not because everything he says is perfect. And and if if that's my... St like, I don't have any, that standard for everyone. No one has that standard for anything in life. God is perfect. That's the point. That's the difference between a human father and God the Father. God is perfect. Everything he says is perfect. Holy men of God uh, spake as, as God... Or, you know, they wrote down those, the, the scriptures as God spake unto them, right? So they had a perfect source. They recorded it perfectly. That's the difference. But but you say again, like you like so so when when Proverbs says that, that you know every word that comes from God is flawless, why why is it flawless? Because it conforms to our standards of perfection, or simply because it comes from God? I mean, so so Jesus, so Jesus never misremembered. A detail. He never like forgot that he already told a story to the disciples, and he tells it again. I mean, we know he got tired. We know he got hungry. 
right? So, so we know that his body was subject to weakness, but, but his mind was, was perfect, we assume. He never forgot something. I mean, that's, that's the sort of stuff that I feel like you have to end up affirming if you want to say that everything is perfect. Is you, it started, you have to start making these demands on stories and these demands on, on sinful people. Um, not Jesus, but you, you start making these demands and expectations of sinful people that we don't make for anything. And this is not how we live our lives. Not how we live our lives now. You know, we we believe that God meets us where we are. But I guess my thing, if you want to say that the Bible is literally without any sort of error, is all of a sudden God can't meet us where we are. He has to do something absolutely perfect, right? Something that that isn't really like how He meets us in in prayer, right? Or or in our interactions with other Christians. And when we interact with other Christians, we're interacting with the body of Christ. And and those aren't perfect. And so suddenly there's this, this other thing that somehow stands apart and is utterly different from, from the way that God interacts with us in any other way. And, and that's just so hard for me to understand. And so I just... What, what, so would, you, what would you do with, like, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16? All of Scripture is breathed out by God. Right. What is he talking about, though? I, I mean, that wasn't the last thing that was written, so does that include everything written after that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think when Paul was saying that to Timothy... I don't think there was a canon in place. So yeah, yeah but I, mean, I think we have to believe as Christians, though, that canonization was a process guided by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, yeah. But but again, through through fallen sinful men who sometimes screwed up and sometimes did the wrong thing, and sleepy scribes who sometimes wrote the wrong the wrong word when they were copying, and, and well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with the fact that you know when you're copying manuscripts, you could have error in, in, injected there. But I think. I personally believe that the the first you know copies, handwritten copies by the apostles, those were in error. Yeah, I guess you know one one way of putting it. So with with the Second Timothy is is the the sort of the demand of literal perfection, inerrancy. That's that is very tempting because that's how we want God to talk to us. If if we were doing this right, that's kind of how we would do. It. And um, every word of God is pure. Psalm twelve six and right. seven. Absolutely. Uh, the word of God is settled forever. So sure. did, did Jesus ever stumble over a word? No. So so he like he never like he never his mouth was super dry because he hadn't anything to drink and so he, he so he never stumbled no, over a word. You're saying I I am not going to comment on, on could Jesus uh have too dry of a mouth to say something. You know, well but, 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 my, but again, listen, my friend, we know so, Jesus got tired, we know Jesus got hungry, but so, so again, like, look, was Jesus inspired? Absolutely, of course he was. He was God. But did Jesus well, the ever, about ever, God inspired? Of course they were. But, but what does it mean that his words were inspired? Does it mean he never made a mistake? Well, no, we wouldn't say that. Well, then, what does it mean? It means that they're trustworthy and true, and that we can believe them, not well, because know, they're literally perfect, but because of the. Example, when were the gospels written? When were the gospels written? When were the gospels written? Uh, mid to late so first century. After Jesus died, right? right? On average, 30 years after Jesus died. 30 right. years is a long way. It's a long time to remember perfectly everything that was said, yet do you believe that the apostles did that by the help of the Holy Spirit? Do I think they remembered perfectly? Uh, no, I don't. I think the that... Uh, the favorite was a perfect rendition of what occurred. No. I mean, again, listen. Well, see, see, listen. See, now you're getting something that when when we talk about the way we think history should be today, that's not the way history was done then. 
So the important thing about doing history then was not to literally record every word the person exactly said. That's not how people wrote then. I mean, that's a very modern demand. And so when you ask me, did they, did, they literally, did they literally write every word that Jesus said perfectly? No, because they weren't trying to. But I think they wrote down what the Holy Spirit wanted them to write down. Yes, exactly. Right. They, again, yes, God breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but not with 20th century and 21st century demands on what that means. That's not a 21st century demand. It, it, it's not even a demand we're making of God. It's something God has set forth, right? Isaiah 48, um, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Agreed. So is it standing? But not because, but not because it checks off the box you'd like it to. I mean, I, th I think it's something, you know, you know and, and I, I really do enjoy this. And, and you know, I know, Joey, one of your things that you were really pleased about with this is that, you know, we're all believers and, and that we can all, you know, kind of talk about these things without, uh, we, you know, while, while knowing that. And, uh, you know, at, at some fundamental level, there's just kind of a basic disagreement about, you know, like, carry how you and I see this, and that's that's fine. Um, that's good, because, you know, it certainly makes me, you know, pushes me to think and challenges me and, and kind of reminds me that, um, like, there are some things I haven't thought about in a while. So, yeah. Um, well, go ahead. Go ahead, Carrie. Well, I was, I was going to say, the one thing I've noticed, is, and this is just an interesting story, I'll be very quick. Every person I know that takes a stance like I do, that has studied this about, you know, Bible translations, and they come out on King James Bible side, just like me, up until three years ago, I would have picked any Bible. I was about to pick an ESV. I was heavily listening to John MacArthur. And I heard him comment on Revelation 11. And he said one word that was not in my King James Bible. I wasn't alive, aligned with it, right? It was just the one I had that my mom had bought a while back. And the word was missing. And I said, hmm, why is that word not in this Bible? And, and with no bias at all, I just started researching. And I, I definitely came out on the side of inerrancy. I believe I can trust my King James Bible, and I'm, I'm willing to keep on going until the end of time. All right, so two, uh, two questions. Um, first one is, Jared, do you think, um, or no, let me ask this, let me ask you, Carrie, do you think someone can become born again uh, without having access to the written Word of God? So yeah. the, whole, the Holy Bible, can someone be transformed and born again? Absolutely. I was saved in a Pentecostal cult, right? That was, uh, they used NIV. Um, I believe people can get saved as Mormons, as Catholics, but it's not those false doctrines that save them. It's that little bit of the true Word of God that's still present that enters their heart and converts them. And then eventually, of course, they find their way out of the air by the Holy Spirit's guidance. I believe that's what it means when the that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in all truth. It's not immediate, but over your, your Christian walk, and as you continue to fellowship with God, which, by the way, what do we mean when we say that? What does it have personal relationship with Christ? Well, you know, John 1 says that Christ is the Word. So if you want to have that personal relationship with God, you pray and you read your Bible, and that's how you grow in grace and truth. So the people that lived and worshipped Jesus before the Bible were written was written were just screwed? No, no, you know, and, and that's a good question. The, the New Testament says there's no under, no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved, right, in the name of Jesus. Well, they didn't know what the Messiah's name was in the Old Testament. So, you, you know, you have to look, and the Bible doesn't contradict itself. The Bible uh, builds the details. 
as you look at these things. So Abraham was saved by faith, right? Faith in the God of, by the way, it wasn't some unknown God. He knew exactly who God was. Same God that created Adam, same God that, that appeared to him. And that's why the Jews always refer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to specify exactly which God they worship. They had faith in him. And Jesus is God, of course. So we have faith in Jesus. And now that Jesus has been revealed, it is his name that we bow the knee to, right? I mean, the Jews don't bow the knee to Jesus. They may claim that they worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but if they don't accept Jesus, they're following a false God now. Gotcha. All right, second question. Jack, what would you have to say to Jared when he says, uh, almost expressing a an anxiousness of, okay, well, if, if we doubt this, then isn't... Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely putting different words in your mouth, Jared, but kind of anything's up for grabs yeah. then. Well, I, I mean... I mean, very honestly, I, I feel the same way. I mean, that's that's not a feeling that's foreign to me at all. Um, anytime I run across something that is a challenge, um, I, like here, here's a here's a good one. Uh, Luke two, uh, Quirinius's census, right? That's a problem um, because I, for very I don't want to get into it, but but you know, basically the deal is uh, Luke kind of says that Quirinius had a census, and that's why they wanted to Bethlehem. But we have no record of that census. And that's a problem. And you could say Luke is wrong. You could say that, well, we just don't have enough information. But whenever I run across something like that, there is this little kind of, like, these, these butterflies. We're like, well, wait, I, if, if that's a literal mistake, what does that mean? But, you know, then there are two things you can, for me, there, there are kind of two ways I've done with that. You know, I, I can kind of dig in my heels and say, no, that's impossible, and, and ignore it. It's impossible. It's a mistake. Right, right. Yeah. And, but but there's a second way, which is I, I think is it, it might have been carried. I think it was Jared. You said earlier, like when you read the Bible and something seems wrong or something that just seems complex, the safe assumption is there's something wrong with me and how I'm reading this. And I agree yeah. with that. Okay. Right. But what's well, what's been good for me is like I don't need to have this closed fist of um, if my understanding of the Bible is wrong, my faith falls apart. Because that that's not the faith that's not Christianity. Yeah, I mean, that's where the Holy we, Spirit kicks in for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, right. I mean, look, we we like Christianity means affirming some sort of ridiculous things, a resurrection of the dead, birth. I mean, so so that's just kind of the deal. Um, but it, for me, it was, it was really just realizing that all of these things that I held so closely, um, they they were really idols to me, and my faith. I was I was building my faith on things that I felt like were within my control and were within my understanding. And anytime anything strayed out of my understanding, it really rocked me. And so and and so it's not that my 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 reaction was well. Therefore, I'm going to assume that the Bible is totally fallible and you can't trust. I'm mean, quite the opposite. Um, but rather, I want to interact with the Bible as it was as the writers intended. And as God intended for me to read them, I mean, these are these are guys that are wrestling with who God is, right? I mean, the writers don't perfectly understand God, right? right. Psalm, Jeremiah, Job, these these are men and women who are wrestling with God, and and so to to take the for me to take all of that wrestling and tension and anxiety and try to resolve it all neatly, I, it just doesn't fit for me. In your understanding of the Bible, the key is to rest in the Bible itself and let your understanding be conformed. You let your mind be renewed as as you read the Bible. 
absolutely. But sometimes, you know, the temptation can be to put my understanding first, right, and then fit the Bible in it. And then not just with this topic, but with any topic, right? Oh, yeah. like, Evolution have, theory being the probably the foremost. Yeah, and so it, it's it, it's just it's just a tension for me, and, and so how do I resolve that tension? I mean, there there are kind of easy the, to me the extremes on either end are the Bible's all lies and I can't trust it, or the Bible is literally 100% correct and the problem is with me. And and I think that not that the answer is somewhere in the middle, but I think that for me again the foundation is can I trust what the Bible tells me about God, yeah, whether I understand it or not? And yes, of course, every man a liar, right? And if you can't trust your Bible, you are not built on the foundation of rock. You're built on the foundation of sand, right? All these little word changes. These are these, this is sand eroding away under the believer's feet. But, and right? I, but I disagree. Oh. My, my faith in the Bible is not built on numbers being right, and it's not built on words being translated correctly. It's built on the source, which is God. We're going to let Carrie and Jack have the last two words that just took place. I think that was, that was perfect, Carrie, with... Uh, the rock and sand, and then Jack saying, "Yeah, I don't, I don't see it that way at all." So perfect. I think, I think this is a great conversation, everyone. All right, thank you guys for listening to this special Saturday episode of Pastor with No Answers on Biblical Inerrancy. We've got a blog post up about this that goes into more detail and has some, even some reading suggestions on that. So go to badchristian.com forward slash pwna as in pastor with no answers it's also in the episode description so click the link go to badchristian.com check out the blog thank you again see y'all on wednesday